1: Welcome back to New Books in Jewish Studies. I'm your host, Max Kaiser. Uh, We have a great show for you today. With us, we have Jack Jacobs, Professor of Political Science at John Jay College and the Graduate Center of the City University of New York. He's here to talk to us about his new edited book, uh, Jews and Leftist Politics Judaism, Israel, Anti Semitism, and Gender published in 2017 by Cambridge University Press. Jack, thanks very much for being with us. First off, how did you come to write this book? Well, a a lot of
0: my academic work has revolved around Jews and the left over an extended period of time. Um, My first book uh, was on socialists and the Jewish question, and it dealt primarily with the... um, Marxists of the late 19th and early 20th century and their attitudes towards Jews and then the Jewish reaction to Marxist views during that era. And I I wrote a second uh, book that dealt with the Jewish workers' Bund in interwar Poland and its attempt to create a counterculture and the ways in which that Bundist counterculture contributed to uh, the successes of the Bund in the late 1930s. And then my third major book was a book on the Frankfurt School, Jewish lives and antisemitism. So these have been issues I have been interested in for decades, um, around 2010 or so. The director of the EVO Institute for Jewish Research in New York, Jonathan Brent, suggested that I put together a international conference on Jews and the left to be sponsored by the EVO, And I was delighted to do so. And um, people came from any number of different uh, institutions, including many distinguished uh, scholars and that formed the core for the current book. Uh, Not everyone who participated in that original uh, conference is in the book, and I did solicit some additional pieces from distinguished scholars who had not been able to attend the initial conference, but the, the book is directly linked to the conference that was held
1: at EVO in 2012. Great. So um, before we dive into a little bit of, of a discussion about um, some of the contents of the book, we'll talk first about your introduction. And uh, in the introduction, you talk about how the relationship of Jews to the left is historically contingent. Uh, maybe you could explain a little a bit about what you mean by this and also give us a brief account of this history over the past couple of centuries. Uh, And in your introduction, you start by talking about um, the Jewish left in Europe and then move into a discussion of the Jewish left in the United States. So maybe we could uh, talk a little bit about both of those. Sure, sure.
0: Well, in in the introduction, I, I first attempt to explain that there have been any number of different attempts to try to come to grips with Um, the attraction of Jews to the left, why it had occurred, when it had occurred. Um, For example, um, one explanation that was put forth at the beginning of the 20th century by a a very prominent sociologist, uh, Roberto Michels, uh, revolved around purported Jewish qualities. uh, A second uh, set of uh, explanations Um, revolve around um, the Jewish religion and purported uh, links between Jewish religious ideas and Jewish political inclinations. And the third set of uh, explanations has revolved around notions of marginality and how it is that the positions of Jews in society at a particular moment in time helps to explain why Jews were open to left to the left at at that point in time and of the three explanations, I think that it's the third that makes the most sense There, there were really problematic components to both of the first two explanations but the the notion that Jewish marginality in europe In the 19th century, helps us to understand the um, interest of Jews in the left. To me, I think holds true. That is to say, Jews have not always been involved with leftist or progressive or radical political ideas, but at a particular moment in time in the 19th century, when Jews were locked out of institutions in many different European countries, um, and when they were not locked out of the left, Jews became involved in leftist institutions. And and this was true in Central Europe, in, in the German-speaking lands, for example, and it was also true further east in uh, countries where a, a significant portion of the Jewish population spoke uh, Yiddish. And I think what I tried to show in the introduction was that um, Jews played disproportionate roles in leftist parties and organizations in any number of different countries in various parts of Europe in the 19th century and in the early part of the 20th century. Uh, This was true in the non-Jewish left, uh, so that, for example, we find that amongst the most prominent uh, non-Jewish leftists of the uh, 19th and early 20th century are, are people like Marx, who was of Jewish origin, and LaSalle, who was Jewish, and Edward Bernstein and Rosa Luxemburg, And Trotsky, just to take a handful of examples from amongst uh, many. And then, above and beyond the participation of uh, Jews in non Jewish leftist organizations, you do in fact find Jews uh, creating Jewish leftist organizations, Jewish socialist uh, parties, uh, beginning in the 1870s the very first jewish socialist uh, organization was actually created in london in 1876 it was the the hebrew socialist union of london but it was a a short-lived organization uh more significantly jews began to, to form uh organizations in uh jewish socialist organizations in in eastern europe and uh in In 1897, Jews in Vilna uh, established uh, the Jewish Workers' Bund, which eventually became a very large uh, political uh, party with a very large number of of, uh, members. And uh, in, in the years following the creation of the Bund, there were also other Jewish socialist parties created in Eastern Europe. Um, uh, with various um, uh, ideological orientations, some sympathetic to social revolutionary ideas, some sympathetic to territorialist ideas, some, some sympathetic to combinations of socialism and Zionism. Um, as you surely know, Max, especially beginning in the 1880s, um, there was also mass migration. From Eastern Europe um, to other parts of the world, including above all to the United States, um, something in the neighborhood of, of two million people, two million Jews, uh, left Europe and went to the the New World between, let's say, 1881 and the first decade and a half of the of the 20th century, and when they arrived in cities like New York, um, Jews created uh, uh, Jewish socialist organizations of their own in the United States, in New York, and in other major um, American cities. And so you had a period, uh, again, in the first decades of the 20th century, when there were vast numbers, very large numbers of Jews involved in the left, creating um, uh, Yiddish-language socialist uh, newspapers, uh, organizing uh, uh, significant unions. Um, and I think that uh, the question really is, when did this uh, significant attraction of Jews for the left change how did it change and why did it change and my answers would be somewhat different for jews in in europe and jews in the united states though i would say that the trajectories were actually remarkably parallel that is to say in both instances you have a fairly rapid rise of jews on the left And um, then a period when this relationship is cut short, brought to an end, or declines, call it what you will. In uh, Eastern Europe, and of course in in Central Europe, uh, this was linked above all, I would say, to uh, the um, Holocaust, to the Nazi era, um, the overwhelming bulk of Jewish leftists simply did not survive the the Nazi years. Those who were not able to leave Nazi-occupied Europe uh, were murdered in very significant numbers. Um, It was also linked um, in um, the USSR to the policies and and orientation of the Communist Party, of of the Bolsheviks. Um, which was uh, an orientation which was not open to independent Jewish socialist parties. Once the the Stalinist regime stabilized itself uh, in the USSR, um, independent Jewish socialist parties could not exist, and 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 were not allowed uh, to exist. So what this means is that in the East. European context and in the Central European context uh, by the end of the Second uh, World War the political space within which um, the Jewish left had existed uh, was no longer uh, extant and the base population that had uh, that had been made up of Jews and that had been sympathetic to the left to a considerable extent was was no longer alive in the united states uh, on the other hand i would say that the decline of jewish participation uh in in the left uh, was linked more to factors like social uh mobility and assimilation and acculturation and that what happened is, as the um, economic roles of uh, Jews in American life shifted, and as Jews moved out of the, the dense uh, inner cities which they had lived in in uh, the, the immigrant uh, uh, years, uh, the, the Jewish left went into a quite um, uh, rapid decline. And um, uh, newspapers like the Yiddish-Language Vorwärts, which had had a mass circulation, um, had a sharp decrease in the number of, of uh, readers. Uh, organizations like the Workman's Circle, which had had a socialist or social democratic orientation and which had been made up overwhelmingly of uh, Jews, initially of East European uh, origin. It too went into a a rapid decline, and and so did the the union movement that um, uh, Jews had participated in, in such large uh, numbers. So what I would say is in Eastern Europe, in the United States, and to take a a third uh, prominent example, In what was first Palestine and then after 1948, the independent state of Israel, um, Jewish participation in the left also underwent a very marked decline over time. So I guess what I would say, and this is my short answer to your uh, question, is that Jewish participation in, in the left was an important historical phenomenon in a very specific historical era uh, that began in the middle of the 19th century and that came to an end in the latter decades of the 20th century.
1: Great. That's a um, really brilliant uh, historical overview. Uh, So, Going on to sort of the the contents of the rest of the book, uh, there are seventeen chapters in the book which cover a lot of ground. So definitely don't uh, expect to um, get through every one. But would you be able to give us a little bit of an overview of the the contents of the book? Um, and yeah, maybe particularly talk about uh, the subtitle of the book, which is Judaism, Israel, anti semitism, and gender. And talk about how those different themes intersect sure, with uh, sure. the theme okay. of leftist leftist politics
0: the The chapters in the book are arranged into seven uh, major sections, and perhaps we could talk really briefly about those uh, sections and and through that get some overview. Um, I was delighted at um, the uh, willingness. Of very prominent scholars and intellectuals to take part in, in this project. And uh, part one was the part of the, the volume that dealt with the political implications of Judaism. And that was where I reproduced what had been one of the keynote addresses at the initial uh, conference. Uh, it was a, a, uh, a talk by Michael Walzer, um, amongst the most important uh, political theorists in the anglo-american world today and and what professor walzer says in a nutshell is that there are features of traditional judaism of traditional jewish religious belief and practice ideas like the chosen people and subordination of women and clericalism and hostility to political engagement that militate against Leftist politics, and that, so far as he was concerned, it is in fact Jewish history that better explains Jewish participation on the left than does Judaism it, itself. That is a a conclusion with which I agree completely um, and and I tried to say something similar in, in my own way in my introduction, but I would add immediately that the book contains um, uh, articles, chapters from a wide range of perspectives, and that there was no attempt to impose um, ideological consistency in the volume. Uh, people were presenting their own points of view. the The second uh, uh, part of the, of the book dealt with anti-Semitism and left, and there were two excellent pieces in that second part, uh, one by uh, Moish Postone, um, who is teaching at the University of Chicago, a, a well-known person who works in the traditions of critical theory, and, and the second by Lars Fischer, um, who is a German uh, scholar. I think that what um, Moshe Postone is, is trying to say um, is, is that changes in interpreting uh, the Holocaust can be linked to broader historical transformations and that the reactions of the post-World War II left to the Holocaust have rarely dealt adequately with anti-Semitism. And the way in which (laughs) he goes about trying to make these points is by making use of the traditions of the the Frankfurt School and and critical theory uh, traditions about which he knows an enormous amount. Lars Fischer, the other person who worked in in that section, that is to say dealing with questions of anti-Semitism and the left, I think is actually coming from a somewhat similar place. And he was interested in his chapter um, in what Marxists... Have had to say about Jews, but he's not interested in citing particular citations from individual Marxists or something of that kind in this piece. What he's interested in is the ways in which underlying notions inherent in the deep structure of Marxism help us to understand the attitudes towards Jews. Which are also inherent in Marxist um, approaches. Excuse me. <coughs> um, the, the third portion of the book uh, deals with Israel, Zionism, and, and the left. And in that portion, we had three great chapters uh, by Anita Shapira, by Ya'av Paled, and by Mitchell Cohn. Uh, Anita Shapira uh, one of the most distinguished scholars in the world de- dealing with questions of labor zionism uh, is attempting to understand well why why is it that the engagement with labor zionism which was so important in, in pre-state palestine and in the early years of the state of israel has dissipated over time and and why is it that the left in israel has declined in power over time. And her answer, in a nutshell, in in a sentence or two, is that on some level, it is actually, she would argue, the successes of the Israeli labor Zionist movement in the 1930s, 1940s, and 1950s that explains subsequent history. That is to say that the success of labor Zionism in building a strong state and a strong economy in Israel ultimately led to a shift in the population of Israel, a shift in the economic um, makeup of that population, a a rise in the, the number of significantly wealthy individuals, and thereby a shift from socialist outlooks to more individualistic and uh, liberal with a capital L worldviews. So one more time, I think that her thesis is that the success of Israeli labor Zionism helps to explain the later very marked decline in leftist uh, um, parties in, in Israel. Yav Peled, um, taught for, for many years uh, in the Department of Political Science at Tel Aviv University, is interested in an extremely different issue, uh, and that is the issue of whether Zionism can or cannot fairly be described as a colonial settler uh, movement. And what he points out is that early Zionists referred to themselves as colonists, and that Zionists practiced settlement uh politics. And I think that Professor Pellet also points out to us that viewing Zionism as a colonial settler movement actually helps us better understand contemporary Israeli settlement policies in the occupied uh, territories. The third talk in, in this extremely important section of the work is is a port is is a talk by Mitchell Cohn um, of uh, the City University of of New York. And and Professor Cohn engages with the extremely prominent contemporary thinker, uh, Judith Butler. And he suggests, to to coin a phrase, (coughs) that Judith Butler has, so to speak, a, a Zionist problem, by which what Mitchell Cohn means is that Whenever Judith Butler addresses matters touching on Israel as he sees it, she allows a very predictably anti-Zionist teleology to to dominate her analysis. And this was evident in, for example, her claim, her rather famous claim, that um, Hamas and Hezbollah are parts of the global left. I move now very rapidly with apologies to all the authors concerned to the fourth part of of the uh, work, which deals with Jews and communism. And there were two major pieces there, one by Anthony Polanski, one of the most important academics alive today, dealing with uh, Jews in Eastern Europe and with Harvey Clare who has uh, devoted his career to the um, uh, to an analysis of the American communist movement and its implications, uh, and Professor Polanski is attempting to, I think, show us how it is and and why it is that that Jews in the USSR, in the interwar years above all, played very prominent roles in developing soviet culture and and were at one point very highly visible in the bolshevik party and and he links this to the rapid urbanization and and russification and economic restructuring that took place among soviet jews in those eras but he also points out to us that stalin had growing suspicions of jews and initiated actions against Jews in prominent positions, and in the Stalinist and post-Stalinist years, the participation and the visibility of Jews in Soviet life diminished quite markedly. Polanski charts a similar phenomenon in in Poland, but I'm I'm going to turn instead to what Harvey Clare says to us, about Jews in the Communist Party in the United States. And he notes that in the era from the early 1920s to the early 1960s, Jews made up a very significant portion of the membership of the Communist Party of the USA. At some points, they were one-third of the membership. At one point, on the eve of the Hitler-Stalin Pact, they were probably 40% of the membership. But he also points out to us that Jews were disproportionate in defecting from and in leaving the Communist Party, and that ultimately very few Jews found it possible to remain loyal to a party that apologized for anti Semitism and that, as Professor Clare sees it, supported policies designed to destroy the state of Israel. Part five was the part that I called gendered perspectives. And there were three extremely important scholars who um, uh, contributed pieces to that section, uh, Barbara Engel and Deborah Hertz and Alice Kessler Harris. Uh, Barbara Engel and, and Deborah Hertz um, each attempted to analyze um, a significant figure and the career of that figure and attempt to understand the, the extent to which those figures um, could be seen as representative um, or not. Um, Barbara Engel uh, devotes her piece to uh, Heske Helfmann, probably the most well-known Jewish radical, woman of her generation. And uh, what Professor Engel argues is that um, uh, Helfmann exhibited characteristics similar to those of other radical Jewish women. Um, Deborah Hertz, um, similarly, devotes her work to the important uh, figure, Man and And uh, Professor Hertz tries to show That Choichet mapped her own pathways, so to speak, to emancipation. Uh, The third piece in part five of the work is a piece by Alice Kessler Harris. And she begins with some more general questions Does the Jewishness of radical women matter? Does the gender of radical Jews matter? And she Attempts to suggest that there were particular Jewish traditions, traditions rooted in um, religious matters, like tikkun olam, like tzedakah, like the the need of married Jewish women to help support males devoted to Talmud study, that opened Jewish women in the United States to new possibilities. And she argues that being both female and Jewish propelled women towards the left in the United States at a particular historical moment. And she too points above all to one key individual, Lillian Hellman, about who Professor Kessler Harris has written an important uh, uh, work. And point parts Six and, and seven of the book deal with canonical figures as I describe them and, and case studies. In part six, we have contributions by Stephen Ashheim and Michael Lovey and Uri Rahm. In part seven, we have contributions by Daniel Sawyer, Judith Friedlander, and, and Samuel Farber. And I would say that. <clears throat> there are things that link together a number of the contributions, though of course they were written independently, and each of these people picked their own uh, uh, topics and their own uh, own approaches. And and what linked, I think, a number of these pieces were attempt to demythologize, and an attempt to reconsider um, uh, pre-existing. Uh, notions. Um, for example, uh, Steve Ashheim says to us that Gershom Sholem was never a conventional leftist, that his political thought remained uh, ambiguous, and his political legacy is a contested legacy. And I think similarly, Uri Ram says to us that despite the common image of Martin Buber As a radical leftist, he actually stood between the left and and right. And that if we examine his thought more closely, there are certain parts of his thought that are saturated with right wing features. Uh, Similarly, in in the final component of of the book, uh, in the case study component, um, Judith Friedlander argues that myths to the contrary, notwithstanding the new school for social research never embraced a leftist agenda it's true that it had a that it was a a haven for jewish refugees uh, refugees from the nazi era but it's not true that the institution was ever um, um, uh, dominated by leftist views as as she understands it um It seems to me that though I can't cover every single piece in in the volume, that ought to give those listening to this podcast some idea of of what people who contributed to the volume were up to.
1: Fantastic. Uh, So um, as you heard, it's a, a really impressive collection of scholars talking about a very wide range of topics uh, to do with Jews and leftist politics. So we certainly uh, recommend that listeners go out and um, pick up the book if they can. Um, Thanks very much for talking to us uh, about the book. Would you be able to give us a little bit of an indication of what uh, other projects you're you're working on next? Sure. Well,
0: The big project right
1: now is an
0: attempt to come to grips with what I see as a rise in many different places around the world in racism, uh, anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, and and ethnic prejudice. Um, I have just finished teaching a seminar on that subject, and I'm hoping to, to write a work on that subject.
1: Brilliant. Well, that sounds um, very important. Um, so, and we certainly hope to have you back on uh, the show to uh, discuss that project or other projects in the future. Uh, so uh, this has been uh, New Books in Jewish Studies with your host, Max Kaiser. And with us, we had Jack Jacobs, professor of political science at John Jay College and the Graduate Center of the City University of New York. He talked to us about his new edited collection, Jews and Leftist Politics, Judaism, Israel, Anti-Semitism, and Gender, uh, out in uh, this year with Cambridge University Press. Thanks very much for listening.